Welcome to AdultBibleStories.com. Our vicarious God is vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump throughout the Bible. So if you've never done a Bible study, here's a place to come. If you want to know where scriptures are, if something's found in the Bible, or if it's just something made up by man, this is a place to be. We're not doing every word or every verse. We're just doing a hop, skip, and jump wherever we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us. And so let's begin in the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You know, it's always got to be the will of God. Whatever you do, we want to make sure it's the will of God. And, and the closer we get to him, the more we know him, the more we know his will, the more we seek him, the more we know his will. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 5. It says, he predestined, us, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. You know, God has predestined us. He's predestined every single person that's ever lived. There is no person that was uh, was meant to go to hell. God is not like the airlines. He does not overbook for heaven. He has a place for every one of us. Jesus says, I go prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place, I'll come back for you. You know, uh, there's, so God does not overbook. Even some people say, what about Judas? You know, so the scripture is that he went, you know, according to scripture. Well, there was, you know, there was a position open. There was a position open to betray Jesus and go to hell. Judas showed up to take that position. It could have been somebody else, but Judas decided to take the position he was chosen. Jesus says, I choose 12 of you, and one of you has the heart of the devil, which was Judas. But the scripture goes on in the book of Acts saying that Judas's place will be forever vacant. You know, talking about, you know, in, in heaven. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out there's a lot of vacancies because God has created a place, you know, for every single human being that's ever lived and ever will live. But we get we have a choice uh, or not if we're going to show up to that destination. We're predestined. God is predestined. I'm predestined every year to go to the dentist. I've predestined there's a date and there's a time for me to show up that we have agreed upon for, for me. So I'm predestined to do that. But I can choose to cancel. I can choose not to show up for that appointment. And the same thing, we're all predestined to go to heaven. But we have a choice either to show up for that destination or to not show up. Judas chose a different destination. He chose not to show up. And so therefore his place is vacant. There's a lot of, so when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of vacancies. And I think Jesus wiped away our tears. And one reason to wipe away tears because we're going to see a whole lot of vacancies of, 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 of family, of, of friends, of people we've known about that didn't show up, that, that we're predestined to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, but did not show up by their own personal choice. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 9, and it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will ever be reached, the fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. So He made known to us the mystery of His will. He made known to us. He made known to us the mystery of His will. Why do I say that? Because many people say, we never know what God is going to do. You know, God God is mysterious. God does things in mysterious ways. Well, that's only if you don't know him or not continue to learn about his ways. He makes known to us the mystery of his will. God is not an absentee father. He wants to make known his his presence. He wants to make known his will. I, you know, I was raised... Well, I wasn't raised this way, but I guess I believed like a deist. I believed that God was, but he didn't really have anything to do with us. And we're kind of put on trial and jury here. The trial... And then when we died, you know, God would judge us. But that's, you know, that's, I guess that's what deism is. I believe that God exists, but he doesn't really have anything to do with our, you know, our day-to-day -day life. But that's not true. God is not an absentee father. He wants to be. He wants to show us. He wants to reveal his will. He wants us to, uh, to reveal his great love towards us. So, and so he makes known to us. So the mystery, if there is a mystery to anything about God, then it's probably because we haven't sought him. There are some things that are, you know that will be mysteries until we you know until we see there are certain things but a lot of things we could consider to be mysteries of god is simply because we do not are not taking in what god wants to tell us and let's go on verse 11 also once again talks about being uh in him we were chosen having been predestined we're all predestined but we can't get there unless we make the choice to show up it's a choice verse 13 and it says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him of seal. Having believed, you're marked with a seal. 
So God puts a seal on you. The day you become born again, God puts a seal on you and promised the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So you, there's a deposit on you. Back, you know, when I was being raised, there was, you know, if you went out and find some bottles, there was a deposit, you know, for like five cents. You could bring back that glass bottle of, you know, Pepsi or milk or whatever, and you got five cents. But God has a deposit us through the Holy Spirit on the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of, of His glory. So we ought to know that we're born again. You know, Satan will love to tell us that we're not born again, so we give up on God and we and we leave the and leave the salvation that He has given us. You know, we we'll walk away and you know eventually, you know, deny Christ. That's you know that's Satan's uh, ultimate goal because there is no every sin can be forgiven except for the one of denying Jesus, of who He is, either by word or by our continuous living a life of of of, of sin that denies Jesus, Lord of your life, but. But so Satan would love to take that seal off. He'd love to take us to think that seal is not there and, and so that we remove it. But there is a seal. We ought to know that we're born again, not, because, you know, not by works, you know, not by what we see, but what we believe in him. That, that, that God knew what kind of mess we were when he saved us. He knew how many years it was going to take us to get, out of, get us out of that, that pit that we're in. And so God is not, you know, uninformed. God didn't go into the situation going, if I would have known that, that you would have done this 15 years later or 20 years later, I would have never chosen you. That is not God. God knew exactly, you know, what, what you're going to do and how you're going to, you know, respond. And so, but he still put that guarantee on you. It's you who's got to come to the decision. It's you that's got to believe that God loves you no matter what you've done. And because of that love, that you love God back and uh, um, back. And so that you know that you're saved, that you have a seal on you. Uh, let's go on to verse uh, 17. This is one of the prayers of Paul. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. So he keeps on asking. You know, Jesus talked about not, you know, not praying the same prayer over and over uh, like the heathen do uh, so that you can be heard. Now, we're not to. We're not just supposed to pray like God didn't hear us and we should repeat our, our prayer. And that's what happened when I became born again. I mean, I, I said a prayer and I didn't see, I didn't feel or see anything. And so I began to repeat myself thinking that God didn't hear. And God, and this scripture came to mind, uh, and, you know, don't repeat, or not this scripture, but the one Jesus said, don't repeat yourself because I already know what you, what you want. And that's when I kind of got upset, threw up my hands and said, I don't know what you want. I give up. And that's exactly what God wanted me, hear me say is I give up, I surrender to you. But there is a time to repeat your scripture, not to be heard, but because something that's being worked in you and something that's being worked in other people. So, so I keep on asking that our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Is there, do, you, do we just need to ask God for the spirit of wisdom at once, or do you need spirit of wisdom every day? You know, Jesus said, pray that you may receive your daily bread. So that's, once again, that's a prayer that we say every day, not just like, you know, the way Jesus said, say it, but we're praying for our daily bread every day, just like we're praying for wisdom every day. And revelations that you may know him better. I pray that all the time over people. Lord, I pray that they, you, know, you show them wisdom and knowledge and so they may have an understanding and know you better and walk with you better and so forth. So they may know him better. I pray also that their eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And you know you have more than these two natural eyes. You have eyes of your heart. Anytime you, have you ever said something, when somebody's saying something and you just don't get it, you don't get it, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden you say, oh, I see it, I see it. Or you may say, Oh, now it dawns on me. Dawn, you know, like the new morning sun coming up. You have eyes in your heart. We see with our heart. In fact, our eyes of our heart are, are more brightly lit than the eyes of our, our natural being. We see a whole lot more colors, a whole lot more different shades of light, you know, than we do uh, with our natural eyes. Our, eye, our natural eyes are limited, but our, our, our eyes of our heart are not limited, especially in Christ Jesus. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, you the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and his incomparable great power of us who believe that the power is the working of his mighty strength, which exerted in Christ Jesus, and raised him from the dead. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything, who fills everything in every way. So as Jesus Christ, when we come to the church, we come to him as the head of the church. So we ought not to say we hate organized religion or hate church. And I understand when you say you hate organized religion, but if it's not organized, what is it? Unorganized and God is not the author of confusion, but, uh, you know, uh, but he's, he's a, a God of order. Now, some churches are so full of order that God has no place there. 
So that's what that's what you mean. I understand that, but we need to be in a public church. Jesus died publicly, and so we need to profess Jesus as Lord as public as publicly, knowing that He is the head of the church. So we need to correct, even though we've been hurt in church. And if you've been in church very long, I don't know how you could not be of hurt, uh, and so forth. But uh, but we need to continue to go to church. There's been times I had opportunity or temptation temptation to leave church, but but I'd read that you know Jesus' first sermon that. Uh, that they uh, that they try to you know cast them over uh, over a, over an edge over a cliff, but and every time that Jesus went back to church or went back to the synagogue, um, you know uh, he they were always trying to trick him. But I said if Jesus can keep going back, and, you know certainly I'm going to keep going back because as far as my knowledge nobody's ever tried to kill me. So I kept on going, knowing that it's God's will for us to go to a church. There are some places they can't have public church, but they're they're. You know striving like in North Korea and striving in China to bring the church above ground you know that's their intention so that's one thing it's one thing to you know to be underground and trying to be bringing above ground then having a church is above ground by going underground simply because you don't like uh, you don't like the persecution or you don't like the you know being ostracized or looked down on and so forth chapter 2 of, of Ephesians as for as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins now we were dead before we knew Jesus Christ we were dead on transgressions and sins that doesn't mean dead like we didn't have the ability to respond or we didn't have life uh, breath in our lungs you know I once was talking to a, a Calvinist and he was a very staunch Calvinist and he says and, and he believes there's nothing we can do you're dead and a dead person can't move well I understood what he was saying but dead doesn't mean you know, it just means dead from the things of God. Have you heard somebody say, well, you're dead to me? Or maybe you said that, you're dead to me. Or, you know, even the prodigal son's father said, my son was dead when the son wasn't really dead. It was just not alive to the father. He just wasn't in, in relationship with the father. It says when we're dead in our transgressions and sins, it means we have no relationship with, with the father. It's been cut off. You know, and only through Jesus Christ can we have new life. Can we have that relationship with God? As for you were dead in transgressions and sins. And there's a lot of things that we're dead to. If we, don't, if we don't ever discuss it, we have no knowledge of it. We have no thought of it. And there's a lot of people that have no thought of God whatsoever. And at least atheists have thoughts of God. You know, <laughs> you would not call yourself atheist if you didn't, you know, if you didn't have thoughts of God. Because <laughs> an atheist is denying that there is God. So at least you have a thought of God. But there's some people out there that have no thought of God one way or another unless you bring it up. And even then, they might not even hear the question or hear, hear what you're talking about. <laughs> Atheists, okay. <laughs> Let's go on to verse, right before verse 3, it says, The Spirit who is now at work in those who are, who are disobedient. You know when you're disobedient, there's a spirit working in you? The spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of the evil one, Satan. And even if we're born again, you know, know God, if we're disobedient, there's another spirit of working in us. And does, you know, back in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. They, you know, committed uh, trees and they, they disobeyed God by eating of the tree they were not supposed to. And they ended up giving over the, the, the fruit of this world over to Satan, the God of this, who's become the God of this world. But when they did, you know, uh, God came looking for Adam and he even says, where are you? And they said, we've hid ourselves because we were naked. And, and God's response is, who told you you were naked? Because you know, there's nothing we can do. You know, we, we are made different than any other creation that God has ever made. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Some people say, how arrogant can that be? Well, we're made in the image and likeness of God, right? We made us both feel man, both male and female are made in the image and likeness of God. How, how higher can you be? Than, than that that's a pinnacle of god's creation being made in his image and his likeness that's not prideful that's it is what it is it's truth but but anyway we're made vessels we're made open containers we're an open container in this world and what we receive is what we are so we cannot come up with our own thing if you think you had your own idea you're wrong because your idea was already there somewhere somehow some way you are what you receive from what you learn from what you from what you uh, uh, visualize what you saw what you heard in school what you heard from your parents what you thought upon the thoughts of the devil the thoughts of god we are not our own we don't have our own thoughts and our own ability so if you did evil is because somebody put that thought in your mind and you agreed to do it and if you thought right it's because god put that thought in your mind and you agreed to do it 
So the spirit who is now at work in you, those who who are disobedient. So if you're disobedient, you are being, you know, uh, you are being led led astray by a different spirit and not the Holy Spirit. You are being tempted. You are having a thought that should not belong to you. So you need to purge your vessel. You need to pour out that that drink, you know, and pour out to you and make some way for the Holy Spirit to to work in you. Let's go on to verse. Right before verse 5 is another uh, uh, phrase here. It says, the objects of wrath. Like the rest, we were by nature the objects of wrath. God has objects of wrath. God doesn't hate the sinner. He loves the sinner, but hates the sin. But nevertheless, if we cling to sin, then, then that sin, which is the object of God's wrath, will, will face the consequences. Somebody broke into your home and threatened the life of your wife or your husband or your children, you know, you're going to do everything you can do. You, there's going to be wrath upon you to stop the object that the wrath, to stop that person from hurting your family. They may not be the object of the wrath, but what they can do definitely is, rather with a gun, with a knife, you know, with, with great strength. That's the object of your wrath, and you're going to do everything you can do to, to stop them from hurting your family. And the same thing with God. God loves us all, but when somebody threatens somebody else, you know, God, you know, God gets angry about that. And God's going to deliver us. Hop, skip, and jump to verse 6, I believe. And it says, And God raised us up of Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So that's the scripture you probably heard many times that we're, he, that we're actually seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And it goes on to verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do it for us to do. You can't go to any any denomination pretty much and not hear these verses. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace, you know, and, you know through faith. So it's grace and faith. We got to have grace and faith. Some people think it's all grace, and other people think it's all faith. No, we it's 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 we're saved by grace. Um, and through faith so we can have faith faith is the is the tunnel faith is the the road you know god gives grace to the humble and and, and the only way you can receive grace is simply knowing that our need for god you know you each one of us are born again we we receive grace because we humbled ourselves knowing that we need a savior and because we, we we're looking for a savior god gave us grace received the savior which is jesus christ and we had faith when he when we and when Jesus Christ revealed to us, we have faith that that was a son of God, that he did, that he was crucified, that he did die for three days and was resurrected. And because of that, you know, of that faith in him and by that grace that God has given us, that we receive um, salvation and we are God's workmanship. If you're trying to, you know, trying to fix yourself and, you know, trying to be your own potter, we are the clay. God is a potter. We are the clay. Then, then, then God is not working. Excuse me, God is not working. We are working. We're in God's workmanship. You've got to remind yourself that we are God's creation. What He started, He is well able and willing to finish. We have to let go and let God work in our lives from the inside out. If we're trying to clean up the outside, then, then God is not working. But Jesus says, if you clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will be clean as well. But even it's not, it's not in, in our ability to clean up ourselves, even the insides. All we can do is, is acknowledge we have sinned, repent of that sin. And allow God to do an inner work in us, which then appears on the outside as well. So we're creating Christ Jesus to do to do good works. God does have a job for us. We are under new management. God, you know, you may get fired from one place, but God is always going to hire you because He has a work for you to do. You cannot be fired, you know, by God, <laughs> which is a good thing. You may be reassigned, but you cannot be fired. Hop, skip, and jump. Uh, we're staying in Ephesians, but now we're going to chapter three. It says, surely you have heard, uh, just verse 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 3. It says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for, uh, given to me for you. So if God has given you grace, God has given you a talent, then God has given that talent for other people. If you give the talent like you think of music or sports, it's, you know, it's a talent to entertain other people. If you give a, a talent like I have to be able to teach and preach the word of God, it's not for me, it's for you. You know, you're enjoying this, you know, of course, I'm enjoying giving it. I'm enjoying the giving, you know, it's greater to give than to receive. But you're enjoying this, this gift that God has given me, you know, given to you actually through me. The grace of God that's on me is actually for you as well. Verse 10 says his uh, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the church. So the church is the real and the church is. And so the manifest wisdom of God is. Is made, uh, is made known to 
who made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly, in heavenly realms according to eternal purposes. Verse 12, In him and through faith in him we, made, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Many times we don't approach God. We're like Adam and Eve. We're hiding ourselves among the leaves of the tree, among the leaves of our work. We're naked. We know it. And so we hide from ourselves from the, from the voice of God because we do not have the confidence to stand before him. But Jesus, what he did on the cross, he clothed us in his righteousness. He became sins. We become the righteous of God. He put the garment of salvation upon us that we can approach God with confidence, not confidence of what we did right and not confident or lack of consequence of what we did wrong, but simply because we know that God loves us so much. And no matter what we did right or wrong, he's receiving us because of what Jesus did. So we have the freedom, even though we messed up, we have the freedom to enter in to his presence. If you don't, you know, if you don't have that freedom, it's because you feel condemned. You have guilt and shame and you don't feel like you're free to go to God and ask for help. You know, oh, and that should not be. I pray for you. I pray because God has made that accessible to you. No matter how far you've fallen, how, how many years you've walked away, how many ditches you've dug for yourself, you still have the freedom in Christ Jesus to enter the throne room and ask for forgiveness. God is not going to kick you out. He's not going to cast you out from his hand. You know, uh, um, hand, you, you have opportunity and the freedom to go to God in the name of Jesus and ask for forgiveness and receive. Ask for healing and receive. You don't have to get all your I's, you know, dotted, your T's crossed, all your ducks in a row, receive healing. You just have to trust in God what Jesus, you know, what Jesus did for you to receive your healing, to receive that new job. If you're waiting to go to God because you don't have the freedom to ask him for a new job and you just hate your job right now as it is, but you, but you, but you feel like you're not worthy. Well, in the flesh, you're not worthy, but in Christ Jesus, you're made worthy. And so you have that freedom to go in and ask and ask God to be redeployed, ask God to get in that. Well, redeployed is that, you know, really is, you know, there's some people right now that's hearing this that they're that used to be preachers and teachers. They used to be very involved in your church and and Satan got you tripped up in a sin. You went with that. You received it. You went with it. You followed through with that. And now you don't feel worthy. Now you separate yourself from the church. You separate yourself from calling. God wants to redeploy you. God wants to reestablish you. All you have to do is repent, return, which means return to the penthouse, return to the place that God has called you. Remember, we're seated in heavenly places far above all these things. So repent means, means to return to the penthouse, return to where the Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning far above all things in this earth, far above. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. God will reseat you. That place that seat that you that you walked away from is still is still there it's still vacant waiting for you to take your place to take your position in that all you have to do is re is repent which means return to the penthouse tell God you know what you did wrong and 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 tell God what he did right by what Jesus Christ did for us and he'll you'll be reestablished redeployed back into position it may not be that same place and it may take some time to get there but God wants to redeploy you in Jesus name hallelujah and so let's hop, skip, and jump. Here's another prayer in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Out of God's glorious riches, not out of our riches. You know, when I start, when God called me to ministry, <laughs> I spent years trying to get, the, you know, what some people call a war chest, you know, to be built up so I can do God's will. And eventually God got a hold of me and says, how long is it going to take you to have enough money to do my will? Oh, well, obviously... We can't. Obviously, it's got to be out of God's riches and not our own. <laughs> so I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your, in, in, in your inner being. So we can't do anything just because we put our willpower up to it. Our willpower can get us you know, far, but it can't get us across that finish line. It cannot get us into the hope and glory that is only found in Christ Jesus. Our strength is limited. Our strength may take us up... To, just far enough to the window and all we can do is do some window shopping and we can't actually obtain what he wants for us because it takes the strength of God and God wants to put his strength in our inner being. God wants to infuse our will with his will. And Jesus said, let not my will be done, but your will be done. So when his will is being done, you know, and it becomes our will, then we're going to be able to carry through. We're going to do more than window shopping. We're going to kick down that door. We're going to go through 
obstacles. We're going to say to that mountain, be cast in the sea. We're going to do things that we cannot do, you know, in our own selves, but through the power of Christ. So it's through the spirit of inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that often. Lord, I pray that, you know, Christ may dwell in their heart by faith and not by knowledge, not by, you know, assent, mental assent, but by faith and faith alone. And I pray to you being rooted and established, rooted. Rooted is something I pray all the time because many times we're not rooted. Many times we're potted plants. We're potted Christians. We move from church to church. We, we move from instead of faith to faith. We move from faith to unbelief, to faith to unbelief. We're always being replanted. And, but we need to be rooted and planted, rooted in the love of God, and established, established in love. And we're always looking for love in the wrong places, you know, and even if we're looking for love, even if we go to the right place for looking for love, we don't understand what love is. And so we still miss it. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. The love of God is so wide, deep, length, height and breadth. We cannot reach the reach the, you know, the sides of it, reach the limits of it. Many times we think we do because of our natural thinking and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You got to know the love of God surpasses your knowledge. We can we read the Bible. We can know, and our, our our understanding of God's love can be expanded. But at some point, our the love of God needs to pass of what we know. We just many times when our circumstances or something comes up that we weren't we weren't expecting, we begin to doubt God's love. But it says right here that if we know the width, the depth, the height, and length of God's love surpasses knowledge. It means I don't know what's going on here, but I know it's not that God you know quit loving me. But many times when a circumstance, unfavorable circumstance comes up, we start thinking, God, don't you love me anymore? And, you know, maybe God doesn't love me as much as he does over, over, over here because she's such a goody good to show. She's always going to church. She's always doing things. She has a favor of God and me. I can't get it. I know I can't get, you know, one foot in front of another. And so we seem to think, you know, circumstances is God's love, you know, weighing in and out for us. It's not true. No matter what the circumstances, God still loves us with a very fervent love. God still loves us as much as he did the day he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. God loves love for us is is, you know, very sustainable in Christ Jesus. God's love for us doesn't go high or low. God's love is, is constant, consistent at all times. But too many times our circumstances, our situations, our highs and lows, you know, tell us that God's love is wavering, which it does not. So we need to have a understand by faith that God's love is greater than our knowledge of God's love. And it should be. Be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the fullness of God, if you think if you're just going to read a bunch of scripture and be full with the fullness of God through scripture, and scripture is very important to read, but we need to have the faith is only going to faith in what God has done is going to fill us with the fullness of God. So it, 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 faith goes beyond our knowledge. Faith goes beyond our ability to comprehend. Faith is in God and God alone. It says, a prisoner, this going on to chapter 4, a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy to the calling that you received. Now many people, well, I haven't received a calling. Well, then we're not living a life worthy. And I don't want you to feel condemned or ashamed because it took me years you know, to give myself to, you know, to the calling and, and to be secure in that calling. You know, I thought many times I messed up and so I'd step back, I'd step away. You know, God would call me again. I, I just messed up. So I stepped back, step away. I'd resign, you know, or, you know, or go back or whatever, because obviously I can't do what God's called me to do. I know what God's called me to do and so forth. But then I stepped back because certain things didn't come up. But now I know what God's calling me. And I'm so assured of what God has called me to do that it doesn't matter what hindrance or what obstacle comes, comes before me because it doesn't cause me to turn away anymore. Because I know, I know that I know that I know what I'm called to do. And I know there's going to be trials. I know there's going to be obstacles. I know that Satan's going to try to thwart me here and there. And when he does, it doesn't cause me to rethink, has God called, called me to really to really do that? I know that he's called me beyond my knowledge, beyond my experiences. I know by faith what God has called me to do and that and that may take you a while to get there but if you seek God with all your heart you will find him it says with all your heart you will find him and so if you really want so and the biggest thing of following what God's calling your life is to make sure that you find that you make sure that he has your that he has a place in your life you know we're always looking for what is my place in the body of Christ well if you let Jesus take his place on the throne of your heart then the quicker and the easier that you're going to find your place in the kingdom of God 
too often we're trying to find our place and not letting Jesus have his place. If Jesus is Lord, then he needs to be Lord. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. We need to make sure Jesus is Lord and can speak into any area of our life whatsoever. And the more you do that, the more you're going to hear God's voice, the more you're going to know the call in your life and have confidence that you are called to that no matter what situation happens, that you can continue to move forward. Okay, that was a lot to say. So let's go on to verse, we're chapter 4, going to verse 7. Um, but to each one of us, grace has been given. So each one of us has been given grace. As Christ's opportunity is the reason you begin grace because you humble yourself. You humble yourself coming to church knowing that you don't know it all. You humble yourself reading the Bible because you know because you, you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. And even what you do know, you may not know to the how much you should know or could know. <laughs> all right, just forget that. Let's go on. When he ascended on high, he left captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus gave gifts to men. God gave gifts to men. Jesus gave gifts to men. The Holy Spirit gave gifts to men. So let's talk about the gifts that Jesus gave to men. And so what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? Some people that believe that Jesus went all the way to the depths of hell, and some people don't believe. And here's a place for the people that believe that Jesus went to the depths of hell. They use this scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm with that camp. I'm with that that thought I subscribe to the idea that Jesus went into the fiery pits of hell you know when Jesus said he was finished on that cross he did say he was finished which means he's finished with the part that he could do he submitted to God but now it was he was completely in the hands of God because he couldn't do anything else the only thing he can do is believe that God is going to you know save him and let not his body uh, you know be devoured by the you know the hell the, the gates of hell so, but the, but the, but what he suffered was not finished at the cross. It's just all that Jesus could do, all that he could submit to God was finished. And now he just gave himself, healed himself over to the Lord to finish. And so he went down to paradise. He also went to hell and came back up. So he descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Jesus fills the whole universe, not just the whole earth, but the whole universe. Jesus is not only Lord over the earth and Lord over heaven, but he is Lord of Saturn. He's Lord of of you know mars he's lord of every planet and every universe out there it was he who gave some to be apostles so here's the gifts here's the gifts that jesus gave to the church he gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare god's people for work of service so why do we go to church because god is giving jesus is giving us gifts your pastor is a gift if you if you if you like it or not yeah i know there's some some self-called pastors out there and and so forth but I'm talking about you know uh, um, how God how God does has, has ordained things he's endured he's ordained churches he's ordained you know gifts and God has given us gifts so we can build up until we reach the unity of the faith the unity of the faith it means we're not going to use there is no unity of the doctrine there's always gonna be certain aspects of doctrine that we're going to disagree on but so we got to come to the unity of faith that we know that God is good that we know that by faith that Jesus Christ you know came came to save our souls and the knowledge of the son of god so we're going to come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of who jesus is you take the very least of of of, of what we need to uh, to be saved that's where we're going to come to unity of that we're not going to come to the unity of what it is it means to walk in the spirit we're not going to come into the unity of what it means to be you know baptized baptized in the holy spirit but we can come to the unity of faith uh, and what that god is good and kind and gentle and has given us the whole given us uh jesus to save our to save us let's hop skip and jump to verse 15 it says speaking the truth in love so we always need to speak truth and it needs to be in love. But we're just speaking truth because, you know, and, you know, just because it's true. Some people just love truth so much they just want to tell people truth. There's no love in it. And how do you know if you're speaking the truth in love? It means you're giving a person. It means you think another person. If, if I'm getting ready to tell somebody, you know, tell something the way it is, the way they hurt me, am I doing it in love? It means if I, is what am I getting ready to tell them? Is it going to benefit them or is it just because I need to release some pressure? Because I need to tell them what they did. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to do it for their benefit. And so if you're doing it for their benefit, then we're going to speak uh, truth in love. We're going to show them what they're doing wrong, but we're also going to show them how what to do right, and we're going to give a hand to them so they can do right. Jesus got upset with the Pharisees. says, you know, you're, you have the keys to the kingdom of God, but you won't, you know, you don't enter in and you don't allow anybody else. In fact, you don't lift a finger. You put heavy burdens upon people, but you don't even lift a finger to help them. So if we're going to speak the truth in love, not only are we going to, I know do it for their benefit and not our own but we're gonna give them truth and we're gonna be able and we're gonna offer them help to get there 
We're going to make sure that we're going to get down. Jesus he says that the word of God became flesh. You know, uh, our, our spirituality, our you know, should become flesh. We should be able to reach out. We shouldn't just be words only, but also power. The kingdom of God does not come in word only, but comes in power. Our words need to have power. We need to back up our words with power, not only with spiritual power, but sometimes leg power or finger power or arm power. Put your arm around somebody. Say, I'm with you with this. I'm going, I'm going to go along with this. We're going to get through this valley. We're going to get out of this ditch. I'm here with you. So speaking the truth in love. From, and goes verse 16 from him the whole body joined and held together by every support and ligament grows and builds itself up in love we need to build each other up in love as each part does his does his part verse 17 so i tell you this and insist on it i tell <laughs> when's the last time your pastor said from the, from the pulpit i insist that you do this i insist that you receive this so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. I insist you no longer think like the world thinks. I insist that you renew your mind. I insist that you no longer conform as the world is conformed, but you transform by the renewing of your mind. I insist on it. If he's going to insist on it, you think it's just, just, you know, it's just words that he's not going to follow up on? No, Paul followed up on people. If you're going to insist on something, you're going to hold people accountable. You're going to hold people responsible. You're going to follow up on what you insist. So he followed up on people, you know, that the, are, you're, you know are you still in your fertility of thinking like the world does? Are you renewing your mind by the word of God? Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You know, Jesus said, come to me, a whole are thirsty, you know, and I'll give you drink and you'll thirst no more. There ought to be a place where we're satisfied, content, and Jesus Christ can be satisfied and content. It doesn't mean we don't want more, but it doesn't, and it doesn't mean we don't have hunger and thirst. I mean, every day we feed ourselves, but the next day we're hungry and thirsty again. So there is a expiration date on that. When we come in Jesus Christ, we can rest. We can, you know, you know and it says, come to me, all those weary and tired and, and so forth. And he gives us rest. So there's a place that we can be content and restful and not striving, you know, for anything and everything. And not less than for more. We may want more, but our joy is not based on wanting more and getting more. Our joy is based on the moment of having Jesus Christ in our life. And we're satisfied knowing tomorrow when we have a greater hunger and thirst for God, will then God will give us more. So, But these people have lost all sensitivity and they just have a lust that just can't be contained, that just can't be fulfilled. You know, you start drinking and you got to drink more. You look at a little bit of pornography, now you need more pornography and harder pornography. You know, you, a little bit of drug, now you need a little more drug. You know, you're working 40 hours of work, but you're getting your identity out of it. Now you need 60 hours of work to feel, you know, as good as you once did at 40 hours. Your just lust just cannot be filled. One house is not enough, now you need to have a dozen houses. One car is not enough, now you need to have the best. One computer is not enough, now you have to have every new iPhone that comes out every year or, or you're just not satisfied, you're just not content. Hint. And I know I went from preaching to meddling, but hey, let's move on. Hop, skip, and jump to verse 28, 22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. We need to put off our own self. You know, Scripture says that we died to sin when Jesus was crucified. But we need to put off our old self because even though that our that our old spirit is is dead, we still have some things. You know, when maybe, you know my father died a few years ago, my natural father, but he had some stuff in his. I had to go through his old stuff, and some of that stuff I need to throw out. Some of the stuff I need to put out. Well, how much more so do I need to do that with my old self, my own way of living? There's a lot of things when I became born again I needed to get rid of. You know, because they were no longer beneficial to me. They were no longer, in fact, they were hindering me from the kingdom of God. They were hindering me receiving God's love. They were hindering me from doing God's will. So there are certain things that even though I was dead to sin, there were certain things I needed to remove out of my life because they were a hindrance to me. They were a part of who I was, but they're no longer a part of who I am now. And so, so we need to put off our old self. We need to put off old thinking. We need to put off old, old ways of living and old ways of handling things. We need to put off stress. We need to put off worry and complaining, those things how we used to deal with things. And it says to be made new in the attitude of our minds. So not just you know, knowing the right thing, because you know the right thing and still have a bad attitude. Yeah, I know. I need to do this. Well, that's not renewing your 
attitude of your mind. We need to be joyful. If God says, we say go this way and God says go this way, we need to say yes, Lord, yes and amen, and renew our mind and change the attitude of our mind and be happy about that and, and say, you know, if I say, if I want to do this, and there's been plenty of times where I wanted to do this, and it was a good thing. It was not an evil, bad thing. It was a good thing. In fact, Scripture backing it up. But God says, no, I don't want you doing this. I want, it, I want you to do this. But I want to do that because I think I can do this, but I'm not sure I can do that. But I have to change that to my mind. I have to change. You're right, God. This is not good for me. This is good for me. And because you're with me, I can do this. And I've, you know, and I've had to make that initial investment to change the attitude of my mind so that tomorrow my attitude is changed, that I am joyful in doing this, doing this thing. It says those you know, who are obedient you know, are, will, are, will, are willing and obedient shall eat, a, 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 eat the best of the land. So you may be obedient, but if you're not willful, and you know how you're willful because of the joy. If you don't have joy, then you're not willing. You, you may be willing to do it because you're, you know, some other motive or, or reason or intention. But if you do it joyfully, you know you have the good attitude of your mind towards Christ Jesus. And put on the new self. So we got to put on the new self. We got to remind it that you're not the same old person. Because I'm telling you, you're going to go through circumstances. You're going to remind you of what happened yesterday, and you're going to think, "Oh man, I haven't changed." Especially when you first become born again. So you got to put off the old self. You got to remember that you have a new self, that you have a new being, that you're no longer, you know, living by your own means, your own ways, you know, your own understanding. But now you're living towards a, a, the unstoppable, you know, and the, a, 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 you know, God who knows all things and has a way when there seems to be no way. And we're created to be like God. We're created to be like God. Oh, you're just trying to be like God. Well, so we're created to be. Well, well, I'm created to be like God. So why wouldn't I have signs, you know? And and God, when you when you see somebody and you see their mother or their father going, you know, you look a lot like them. Even your mannerisms and some of the phrases you say. Well, I mean the same thing. You know, who do you think you are? are? You trying to be like God? Well, yeah, I don't have to try because uh, because I am. I'm made in His image, His likeness, created to be like in God in true righteousness and holiness and true righteousness, not a righteousness made up by man, not a righteousness of following the law, but a righteousness. Jesus became sin, so why become the righteous of God? There's nothing I can do to add away, to add or subtract from that righteousness when it's given to me. And it says, and holiness. Holiness means to be walking in that righteousness, mean walking in the ways of God, and no longer walking myself. So I'm created to be like God in true righteousness righteousness and holiness god says be holy for i am holy and if he says to do something that means we have the ability to do it because he empowers us to do it through the grace of god so yeah i am trying to be like god because i was created to be like god so it's not too hard to be like god because that's the way i was created that is my default in the spirit but i have to put off the old the old man the old ways because those things are always trying to be resurrected from the dead just like you know some of our horror films over here like jason is always coming back you know, and our, our, and, you know, our old man is always trying to come back from the dead as a ghost or so forth. <laughs> so let's go on before I get off topic here. In fact, we only got a few minutes. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and not give the devil a foothold. Many times that scripture is used in marriage and it's a good place to use in marriage, but there is no reference to marriage here. So we always need to get rid of our anger and do not sin, no matter if we're single or married or whatever. At the end of the day, the scripture says that, that's, I know, that Adam walked in the cool of the day with, with God. You know, so I believe at the end of the day, we need to walk with God to get rid of uh, any anger, any opposition that we may have and deal with things so we can have sound sleep. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let sin go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Because anytime we go to, to go to bed with a resentment or bitterness or anger or, or offense, you know, Satan, you know, has has a foothold. And the next day, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're going to head towards a direction we don't want to go. And there's another understanding of the scripture, too, but I don't want to get into that right now. Talks about that uh, in your anger, do not sin. You know, sometimes we we are angry and we can't get it. We've got to deal with a situation. I guess I am going to get into it now. We're going to get in a situation next day. So, but many times as Christians, we want to get rid of the anger because we don't feel, we don't like the feeling of anger. Anger does not feel good. And the wrath of man does not work the you know work uh, work the righteousness of God, but there's some times that there's some things we have to deal with. So he says, it says in your anger, do not sin. Let's, do not sin go down while you're still angry. It means we need to get over angry, but we need to have a plan to deal with the situation the next day. Too many times we we do get offended or we do get angry in a situation. We get rid of the anger, but we never deal with the situation the next day. So what happens? We get angry again and again and again. So. 
So we need to have a plan before we go to bed. He wants to get rid of that anger so we can deal with the situation in a right and a proper way the next day. Uh, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. You know, that's something that needs to be taught in our churches and our society here in the Western world, at least in the United States, because more and more preachers are at least, uh, you know, using soft cuss words or using language that they ought not to use. That's not beneficial for people to hear. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And I'm not just talking about cuss words, but I'm talking about just phrases and sayings that are just doesn't bring the light of God into our life. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not, so we're called, you know, give those who listen. Jesus said, do them have ears, let them hear. So Jesus didn't come, you know, just to give people who don't want to hear something. In fact, Jesus was careful not break, you know, to yell in the streets or to break a bent reed or put out a smokestack. You know, when Jesus, Jesus knocks on the door, he's not going to kick down the door. If there's anyone who knew that the gravity of your situation, of uh, the gravity of the situation that you're in, it'd be Jesus, and He doesn't knock down doors, so we shouldn't knock down doors. So we should go to who have ears. Now Jesus did come to give, you know, sight to the blind and hearing to those who do not hear, but those are because they, you know, they initiated, they asked to, to see, they asked to hear. And so same thing with us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Once again, it's talking about we're sealed. We ought to know that we're a child of God. We ought to know what our eternal life, you know, has. We shouldn't be, you know, wondering if we're saved today and lost tomorrow because of uh, because of uh, we're falling short of the glory of God or because our our emotions just are not our friends. Verse chapter five: Be imitators of God. Oh, you're just trying to be like God. What tells us to to be imitators of God? Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse nor, uh, <laughs> chapter 5, verse 4. Nor should there be any obscenity, any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse talk, joking, which you are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So watching some of the comedians that, you know, after the news, you know, some of the, uh, uh, yeah, let's just not go into that, but you know, right now. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse, then to verse uh, 6. So God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient doesn't mean God hates a sinner, but it means if you're holding on to sin, God's got to get rid of that sin because that sin is hurting your neighbor. It says, love God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you're holding on to sin, that sin has actually hurt your neighbor, and God's wrath is on, is, on, is on that sin. If you're holding that sin, you're going to get the same repercussions as the same judgment as that sin. And it goes on to verse 10. It says, to find out what, the, what pleases the Lord. You need to find out what pleases the Lord. We know that faith... Without faith, you cannot please the Lord, but there are also other things that please the Lord, but you always have to have faith. And without faith, then you can't please the Lord any way, anyhow, whatsoever. Verse 17, well, let's go back. Sorry, please the Lord. You know, you know what pleases the Lord is you submit yourself, resistant, you know, submit yourself to God, resist the devil. You know, uh, please, uh, the devil will flee, please the Lord. Find out what God wants you to do, please the Lord. Loving your brother, please the Lord. Find out how to do those things, please the Lord. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We don't want to be foolish. If we don't understand what the Lord's will is, uh, God's will is for our life, guess what? We are going to do foolish things. We are going to make foolish decisions. We're going to move. We're going to pick up our family and move into places we shouldn't move. We're going to take jobs we shouldn't take. We're going to have friends we shouldn't have, you know, because we're doing foolish things because we don't understand. We don't know what God's will for our life. We're going to make foolish decisions if we don't understand what God's will is for our life. And if we have to get in the garden and say, God, not my will, but your will be done, so he can tell us what his will is, then that's what we need to do. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery instead of filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, and you know, but leads to debauchery. It's, you know, and, and scripture also says remain sober too. Another place, remain sober. So we don't have to get drunk on wine. Many times we don't know God's will. We get to, we get drunk on, in our own ambitions. We get drunk on our own you know desires and wants. We get drunk on you know the things of this world that aren't necessarily bad. They're just not you know conducive uh, for a life in Christ Jesus. They're not conducive of, of seeking Him because we don't know God's will. So there's a lot of things that we can get drunk on, and not just on alcohol. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, so we need to submit to one another. God sometimes may correct us through somebody we don't want to be corrected by. Uh, by. If we're not willing to submit, then we're not going to hear God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And they don't, you know, and they come to me. And they run from anywhere else. We all, so if you know God's voice, then God's going to be able to correct us even if it's through a donkey. You go, wait a second. That's not what I'm expecting. So I want to hear God's voice. And I want to be obedient. 
Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You know, you know, it doesn't stop at wives, submit to your husbands. There's many, there's many women out there that are married to a man who doesn't know Christ and doesn't want to know Christ, and they try to force their, their wife to submit to things that's not, that's not godly. But it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If the Lord, is this something the Lord wouldn't have you to do, then you shouldn't do it with your husband either. It doesn't say submit to your husband even if it goes against the Lord. If it goes against the Word of God, don't do it. If it goes against your conscience, don't do it. The Lord is with you on that. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, verse, then in verse 27, it says, Without stain or, God, Jesus is coming back for a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, we have a lot of teachings of talking about, you know, well, you know, you'll get to heaven and, and, and if your work should be tested by fire, but at least you made it to heaven. Well, that's true. But we're teaching, you know, that you're not going to lose your salvation, but you're just going to not have a, a healthy or a good time reaching heaven. And all, and all that stuff is true. But why are we not teaching, you know, the discipleship? Why are we not teaching like Paul taught? You know, Paul is the second best teacher. Jesus was the first best teacher. He says, without spot or wrinkle, why are we teaching people to be without spot or wrinkle? Instead, we're given the lowest denominator. And if we're going to have people shoot low, what happens? They shoot so low, they miss the target. The target being Jesus Christ. Without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. We need to, you know, we need to be that way. We need to be preaching that way. We need to, you know, be that way because when we're that way, we're going to throw ourselves upon Jesus. We're going to come to him and say, oh, Lord, I missed you. But if it's, you know, give or take and it's telling people, well, that's just not God's best. Well, I'm okay. I can deal with what I've been dealing with, you know. You know, I just want to make it to heaven. If, you know, if I lose all the rewards, that's okay. Just as long as I make it to heaven. Well, you're shooting real low. What happens if you shoot too low? What if you're no longer coming to Jesus Christ? What if you're no longer coming to Him and repenting of your sins? What if you no longer have faith in Him and depend on Him? And, den and you begin denying Him because you're not, you know, seeing the, the, the glory of God. You're not seeing, you know, the severity of disobeying God, which causes you to, you know, you're, you know, it's causing you to throw yourself upon Jesus and make him Lord and Savior in your life, not out of fear, but out of knowing that without him, you can do nothing. So let's hop, skip, and jump to chapter 6. You know, we have way over time. Honor your father and, father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Kids need to honor their mother and father. I find the kids that honor the mother and father end up honoring authority in their lives. Kids who dishonor the mother and father usually end up dishonoring teachers and principals and eventually, you know, police officers and the law. So that's what it means. You may enjoy long life because you start dishonoring police officers like a lot of people are of all colors. They end up being dead because they're because they're so dishonoring. Uh, verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ Jesus. This is not a scripture that's suggesting that slavery is okay. But it says that we are born from a kingdom from above. We have a new way of viewing things. That the lives and the trials in this world, even though how harsh they be, no matter how hard they be, and I can't imagine slavery how hard that is. But he's saying that, that we can, you know, that we God has stored up for us something better. If you want to understand what the armor of God is, it's in chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power and his mighty power. We cannot be strong without his power and his might. And it talks about putting on the full armor of God that's going to be able to stand their ground and have, have done all to stand. Uh, verse 19, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me, so I may be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul is pretty bold and pretty fearless of what he did. So if he's praying, says, Pray that I may be fearless, then how much more so should we pray? Many times, I mean, I hear all the time how easy it is to tell the gospel, but I'm telling you, if we want to do it the right way, I mean, one time I was walking with my cousin. They didn't go to church. They didn't believe in God, I guess, so much. And I was wondering, and I just spent time walking with them, just thinking, how am I going to tell them the gospel? And finally, the Holy Spirit told me, there is no way to tell somebody, you know, the good news about also telling them the bad news if they don't believe. So we need to pray. It says, whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so I may be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. That doesn't mean fearlessly as I may tell, you're going to go to hell, but it means how should I approach somebody? And if they don't say, well, I don't believe in that stuff, then how do I tell them in the right way, fearlessly, because even though they're going to get mad and maybe even possibly retaliate, we need to be fearless on that. Verse 24, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. AdultBobaStories.com